Well, good morning. Just want to tag on one thing that um, Colton was saying, in his, being thankful for those those students, and we will indeed be praying for you and loving you when you come back. And your responsibility is to come back when you graduate, be a part of this body. I got that idea, Craig Bailey. My wife and I were in Charlotte a couple of weeks ago, and we attended Redeemer Presbyterian Church there. Uh, they had their graduate recognition. And they had three graduates. Only one was actually present. And so she is up there on the podium with, with Craig Bailey. And Craig Bailey's talking to her about, here's all the things that we're going to do for you. And I have one ask for you in return. That when you graduate, get a job and come back and be a part of this community. So I pass that on as well. Um, let's go to the word, Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we do rejoice that we can open your word. Father, it is so good to hear Your voice speak to us. For Your Word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It gives life. It raises the dead. It teaches us to be holy, to be righteous, to be Christ-like. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that You will apply the Word to us to that end this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, one more bit of good news for you because of all that's going on this morning um, from our announcements about men's ministry to the diaconate and uh, the work of mercy and then our graduates. And then after I speak, we will be doing an ordination and installation of our deacons. This week I was reading um, a sermon that Charles Spurgeon gave 162 years ago on Friday. And it was from this particular passage. And the actual sermon is the church conservative and aggressive. And it's on 1 Timothy 3.15. In it he began talking to his community, the church, the people of God. And he revealed to something that he had personally been doing for the last five to six years. He told the congregation that he was convicted that he should train up men for ministry to do the work of ministry. And over this five to six year period, he had trained seven pastors and actually placed them in church plants. But he was so convicted by this particular passage that he said, I can't stop there. What we need to be as a church is a church about making disciples. He said, what I have been doing for these few men, we, the leadership of the church, need to do for our entire church body, our entire church membership. This passage speaks to that end. This whole epistle, 1 Timothy, and then 2 Timothy and Titus that we will be looking at in the future, speaks about discipleship. And we'll talk more about that as we go go along. But Spurgeon was convicted of this from this particular passage about making disciples because making disciples is all about the truth. And truth is a person. It's Jesus Christ. In John chapter 18, there's a very pointed, very telling 
interaction between Jesus and Pilate. It is a transcendent passage. It should be looked at for every single generation. In it, you know that Jesus was before the Sanhedrin. He was placed on trial and they had convicted him and then they took him to Pilate. It was early in the morning. And so there he is before Pilate in verse 37 of chapter 18. Pilate says, so you're a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? That's the question for every age. What is truth? Paul will get to that in this particular passage. Jesus said earlier in John's Gospel in chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Truth is a person. Truth is absolute. We live in a world that doesn't see it that way. That says, what is truth? My truth? Your truth? Their truth? Paul is concerned for this church at Ephesus, or I should say churches at Ephesus. And so in this particular book, this epistle, there are three words that you can think of in this passage that really summarize what it's all about. Concern, conduct, and confession. And all three of these answer the question, what is the mystery of godliness? And godliness is just a form of discipleship. Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, and it starts out in verse 14 that says that he, is, he hopes to come to them soon. That idea for soon means with haste. I mean, like tomorrow. But I know I'm, I'm going to be delayed. He says, if I'm delayed, but he knows he's going to be delayed. So he's writing these things to Timothy. And so what we have in this passage is Paul's reason for writing here in the center of the book. This is one of the things that Paul loves to do is get to the middle of the book to show that there is a difference from what he has spoken about and what he is about to speak about. So doctrine and duty, the things uh, that are creedal and conduct, faith and practice. And so he does that right here. He has been showing us that the problem within the church at Ephesus was really what is truth. What is true teaching? At the very beginning, he charges Timothy, he says, don't let certain persons teach what is not true. Don't let them teach what's false. Don't let them teach what this person's truth is, that person's truth is. Teach sound doctrine. Because the truth is being muddied. The people at Ephesus don't know. They're hearing a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And it is affecting the church as a whole. It affected their order. It it affected their priorities. So Paul in chapters 1 and 2 and into 3, he says, we need to get back to the truth. We need the truth to tell us what the priorities are for the church. 
And that is to teach sound doctrine and to pray. That prayer is for ourselves to grow in godliness. It's our prayer that for other people to be saved. It's our prayer that they would know the one mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus. And then it says we need, we need to know how to orderly conduct ourselves. Men need to know how to be men in the church. Women need to know how to be women in the church. And our leadership needs to know how to lead the church. And then he gets to this particular passage that raises the concern for conduct and confession. He puts it all together here. He says, okay, we're, we're trying to put these things in order. But let me show you where the linchpin is. Let me show you where the fulcrum is. Well, let me show you where the link of the chain is that holds this all together. It is the church, the household of God, household of the living God, the pillar and buttress of truth. So Paul is wanting us to understand that the church is about truth. And let me just pause for just a moment. The church is in a building. It's not brick and mortar. Charles Spurgeon in the, in the sermon that I wrote, read this week talked about we have, we have adopted an idea that it is a location. And we perpetuate that idea. What are you doing tonight? Well, I'm going to church. Well, what about Wednesday night? Well, I, you know, I, I have this thing at church. But Spurgeon goes out of his way and he says, no, the, the church, the ecclesia is an assembly. It is the people of God. Each and every one of us. Peter says we're living stones. So forget about the brick and the mortar. That's you, the temple of God. The indwelling presence of God in you. And when you gather together, that's where the church is. Harry Reader, who passed this Friday from a car accident. I've used this illustration before. He was asked by a reporter that said, Hey, Dr. Reader, where is your church? Expecting him to give the address of where Briarwood Presbyterian Church is. And Harry used this as a teachable moment. He said, I, I don't know. The reporter was befuddled. And, and said, what do you mean you don't know? And he says, well, I'm sure some are at home. I'm sure some are on business trips. Some are at work. Some are at school. The reporter's looking at him like, what? He goes, that's the church, the people of God. I don't know where they are on this particular day, but I do know where they'll be on Sunday. They will gather together to worship Jesus Christ. So that is, that's what we want to be, is a church that is a pillar and a buttress of tr truth. That's Paul's concern. He is concerned about discipleship. He's concerned about the truth. Paul wants to make the truth known and wants people to know it. His concern deals with truth and deals with discipleship. Let me ask a question. Have you ever been discipled? I know that's a loaded question, but have, have you been? I, like Spurgeon, 
had something that convicted me a couple of years ago. I was discipled. I am so thankful. Dan Duncan at Believer's Chapel took me aside with some other men, 14 of us in total, and discipled us. I was discipled for nine years under his tutelage. I learned more in that discipleship than I ever learned at seminary. I kid you not. You don't have to be a seminarian to know the things in the Word of God. The most knowledgeable man I know about Scripture has never been to seminary. But I was convicted a while back that I too need to make disciples. Not just here preaching on Sunday morning. Discipleship does take place here too. But aside from that, and so we began the inductive Bible study. And I believe we've been through six books in the Bible already. It does good for me. I continue to be discipled. None of us grow to full maturity. Not Pastor Jake, not myself, not the elders, not the deacons. We're not know-it-alls. We still learn. As long as we're breathing, we should be taking in the Word of God. So, have you ever been discipled? I began to do that. It is such a blessing. I take the men. Gala takes the women. We come back for this summary um, time at the, at the end. But I get to see about 10 men continue to grow in their knowledge of God. And as they do, they blossom. As they do, they're getting involved in the church. It is such a blessing. So again, have you ever been discipled? Being a disciple is this simple. You are a Christ learner. You learn about Christ. And it's not hard. Listen, we've got expectant mothers right now in the church. The livers, I guess Beth is home this morning. So Tommy and Beth just had a baby. It's the first of seven um, expectant mothers within the church. Tommy and Beth, more Beth at this point in time, is going to begin to disciple little Laura, as they are Jack already, in life. Right now, she is absolutely dependent after being born for nourishment, for clothing, for protection, for security, for all the things that have to be given at this point in time. But the time will shortly pass when they will teach little Laura to eat for herself to clothe herself, to go through potty training, and then dress, tie shoes, brush teeth, do all of those things. And Tommy and Beth are going to be the the teachers. And little Laura is going to be a life learner from her parents to grow up to maturity for the world. We do the same exact thing in the church. When you come to Christ, you're an infant. It doesn't matter if you're 6 or 62. You are a babe, an infant in Christ, and you haven't made it. Just because you have heard the gospel and you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is the beginning of your journey, not the end. You are looking for a hope in the future. Christ Jesus coming again. And until that day, you are to be learning 
more about Him. Why? Because the mission of the church depends upon it. It depends upon the people of God knowing Christ because we are all to be witnesses. Matthew 28 tells us that we are to make disciples, make Christ learners. We have to learn Christ to teach Christ. You say, but I, I didn't, again, I didn't go to seminary. I'm not that good of a learner. If you can teach a child the things in life, you can teach a babe in Christ the things of God. You really can. You don't have to have all the answers. Listen, in John chapter 1, here's just a simple illustration. John chapter 1. You know the prologue. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But the latter part of this chapter, you see Andrew, Peter's brother, approach Nathaniel. And he says, we found the Christ. Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathanael says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? What does Andrew say? Come and see. Listen, if you are talking to a neighbor, talking to a coworker, talking to a fellow student, befriending them, getting to know them, and an opportunity opens up for you to say, hey, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. And they say, well, what is that? Maybe you're not prepared at that moment in time to share the gospel, but you can say, come and see. Come to my community group. Come to my worship service. Join us. Come and see. Come and see Jesus. We want to be disciples. We want to follow The church's conduct depends upon it. Our conduct is led by the Word of God. And so Paul was concerned with this. He's had a sense of urgency for it, and he wanted to make sure that they knew how to conduct themselves in the household of God. And that's where he gets into this idea of what it means to behave in the household of God. Years ago, my wife had the kids in the car and the two boys were in the back. Um, Kyle, our youngest, was, we called him words for a while. He learned so quickly vocabulary. Um, it wasn't a matter of getting to 300 words, then it was five, six, whatever. And Kyle was very particular. He wanted to know words and he wanted to know what words meant so that he can use them. He, he liked that. It, this is a young age. He's just a, a toddler. And so they're driving in the car, and of course, then they're touching each other. <laughs> then they're bothering each other. <laughs> and Gayla looks over, and she says, Hey, boys, behave. Kyle says, I am being have. What's have? Okay, you can't know how to behave in the household of God if you don't know the truth. You won't know what it means to behave as a Christian. You need to know the Word of God. And we're to know the Word of God for multiple reasons. Paul says here that the church is the household of God. 
It is the church of the living God. It's living and active. It is an organism. It is to work together. And it is the pillar and buttress of truth. Two architectural ideas that he puts forth. The first is a pillar. The second is a buttress. And to simplify that, simply think of something that holds something else up and puts it on display. And the other is for support, whether it's a foundation or side support. Now, Paul uses this illustration here because in Ephesus, one of the most unbelievable architectural examples is on display. It's the Temple of Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the world. It was known for its pillars. There was 127 of them. And they were 60 feet tall. They held up a marble roof with a temple of Diana in the very middle of it, or Artemis. But you know what's left? I was reading commentary this week. You know what's left? There's one pillar that's left, and it's damaged. It's crumbled. Why? Because it's all based on falsehood. False teaching is nothing. Diana's no god. She was a little g-god. And so everything that she represented is gone. It doesn't last. Only truth lasts. The church, you and I, brothers and sisters, were to be pillars of Christ. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Putting up the gospel, holding it up on display. With our foundation, our feet firmly planted, as Paul says in Ephesians, the first letter to those churches, the foundation being on the apostles and prophets with Christ being the cornerstone. In other words, the Word of God, the apostles and prophets, what they were giving before the New Testament was written, and Christ Jesus Himself being the Word made flesh, the foundation. And as we learn and as we grow in Him, our conduct changes. And we're going to see it in the weeks to come in 1 Timothy. How we're to behave in the world, in our households, and in interactions with others. And as we do that, people notice. These people are different. Spurgeon says that it is important for the church to know this. That when it comes to the Word of God, they are to uphold it, defend it, maintain it, and propagate it. If she fails to do this, the church, then she falls. She drifts. She becomes like a tottering fence. And so, we need to uphold the truth. You say, what truth is that? Paul ends this particular passage with verse 16. He lays out six things that he puts forth is the mystery of godliness. This is the gospel in miniature. And why it's a mystery is because it's been revealed. If you look at Ephesians and you study through that, you will see mystery is used in that particular letter, particularly in chapter 3. And the mystery was that there is one people of God. It was no longer for just the Jew. It was also for the Greeks, for Gentiles. And this idea of mystery isn't some hidden secret never to be made known. 
it is like something that is revealed. If you've ever seen a house, you've seen it on TV and things like that, where people will travel and they'll throw um, sheets and, and canvases over furniture. And then when they go back, they pull it back and you see what's underneath. In the fullness of time, God determined that He would reveal all things in Christ Jesus. Christ came, He died, and He put together one new man out of two, Jew and Gentile. That's taught in Ephesians as well. And so He makes this one new humanity. And then He says in the rest of Ephesians chapter 4, 5, and 6, this is then how you live, which He's going to do here in Timothy as well. But here's what He, here's what he says um, Paul in this particular text. These are just things you want to know how to make disciples? Use this list. Use this list. It says he was manifested in the flesh. This is all speaking about Christ. He was vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels. He was proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory. These become very, very doctrinal, but I'm going to make it very simple for you um, to wrap this, this up this morning. Manifested in the flesh speaks of Jesus' incarnation becoming man. And we, the people of that time at least, saw Him in all His glory and all His truth. He, he showed Himself to be two things. He showed Himself to be the Son of God and He showed Himself to be perfect man. You want to know how to live? Look at Jesus. You say, well, I can't see Him right now. Well, no, you can see Him in the Scriptures. That's how we see Him today. So He was made known and He showed us how we're to live. And, and He showed us who He is. So we can tell people about that. Jesus shows us how we should live. Then it talks about being vindicated by the Spirit. This boils down to the resurrection. It simplifies it a little bit. But Jesus rose from the dead. And He was vindicated or justified for who He said He was and what He did. In other words, living the perfect life, laying it down for us that we might have forgiveness and eternal life. And then those two things speak about what people saw, humanity saw. The next item on here is there wasn't just a human witness, mankind. There was a heavenly witness. The angels saw everything. And it too is recorded in Scripture for us. They were there at His birth. They were there at a temptation in the wilderness. They were there at the empty tomb. They were there at the ascension. They saw everything. So there's a heavenly witness as well. And then he's proclaimed on in the nations. Probably better thought about nations as being Gentiles, the, wor the world. So it was that the word was then at Pentecost and forevermore being proclaimed. And the miracle of miracles is the next one that it's believed on in the world, that proclamation. Because if you think about who we are apart from God, we know nothing. We're dead in trespasses and sins. We, we are in bondage. And yet the gospel comes to us and the hammer falls and the chains are loosed. And, and we come to know God for who He is in the person of Jesus Christ. And we become an infant. Then we need to learn. 
And then he's taken up into glory, meaning he's ascended. He now rules and reigns. And the beauty of this is we rule and reign with him. How do we do that? By learning of him and sharing of him. There is a purpose to your life. There's a purpose to my life. And that purpose, just a small part of it, is to be a husband, a wife, a father, a mother, a son, a daughter, an employee, an employer. All these different things, that is just tertiary, temporary. Your true purpose is to be a Christ learner. To follow Christ and to make other Christ learners. So how can you become a disciple? Do as Paul has said in this book, pray. Begin with prayer. Lord, help me to follow you. And then pick up your Bible. Begin to read. And hopefully read with someone else so you can talk about it. Back and forth. Reach out to someone. Talk to Pastor Jake. Talk to myself. Talk to an elder. Talk to deacons. Say, will you disciple me? Will you teach me? I want to be a Christ learner. That's a place to start. How can you make disciples? It's just as easy. That's the one that really makes people scared. That's the one that makes them fearful. But let me make it real simple for you. You want a simple one? Here's a lob shot. Okay? We have VBS coming up. About 45 days out. I'm sure you have co-workers, you have neighbors that have kids. If you know them and can speak to them, say, hey, we're having vacation Bible school. Love to have your kids come. That's, that's a start. That's a window. Then you can have a conversation. If their kids do come, hey, what's your kid learning? Maybe you should then, hey, why don't you come on Sunday? See what your kids experience during the week and come experience it on Sunday. Or you can start by just doing a prayer walk. Pray through your neighborhood. Pray for those people. Then as you get opportunities, maybe you invite someone over for dinner, have something at your house, talk to them, get to know them. Most people love mysteries. Alistair Begg says, most people love mysteries, talk about mysteries all the time. TV and movies are loaded with mysteries. And if you hear somebody talking about, oh yeah, I've been watching this show, it's a real mystery. So yeah, I like mysteries too. The pastor was talking about mysteries last Sunday. What mystery is that? Mystery of godliness. If they don't shut the door right then and there, then you might have a conversation. You might have to just say, come and see. Or find someone else. Well, there's a lot we can do. Let me just say this. If you want to be discipled, find one of the leaders in the church. We will be happy to disciple you. We desire to disciple you. We want you to be a Christ learner so that you can teach others about Jesus. It's the good news. It's the greatest news ever known to mankind. So do that today. And if you're here and you don't know Him, we would pray that you would consider the Lord Jesus Christ, Savior of the world, and believe in Him. Let us pray.
Father in heaven, we do thank you this morning that we can be your people. That, oh Lord, that we are so feeble and frail and weak. We're like little children and we need to be taught. But you are a gracious Father. And you are good to us. And you bring other people into our lives that can disciple us. And so we pray for that, each and every one of us. And we also pray for those who might be timid at this point or anxious. There's no guilt. There's no shame. Nothing to keep them from being, uh, coming forward and asking to be discipled. So to that end, give them the courage um, to ask and let us say yes to that. We pray that you would be glorified in this body now and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.